This morning is Luke 10, verse, sorry, Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. But we're going to start with Luke 10, verse 30 to 37. Pastor Jeremy is going to say a few words, and then I'll read the first part. So, Luke 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Shall we pray? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word that gives life. And Lord, we just pray that you uh, sow your word deeply in us to continually and over the course of our lives uh, form and grow us in you and form us into your likeness. Open our ears and eyes and hearts to see and receive you, Lord. Amen. So this morning, we are looking at uh, this parable here, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And the parable of the Good Samaritan It's really like an inhabited memory uh, for many of us who grew up in the church, right? It's something you you just come across regularly, you hear regularly, and it's a teaching of Jesus that that really, it just resonates with people, with Christians and and non-Christians alike. It's it's standard fare for a children's Bible, and it's uh, standard fare for our teachings in ethics, in, in kindness, in compassion as well. Be a good Samaritan. Is, is how we may hear it, or, or this, this is the picture of what it is like to be a Christian. Uh, and, and in that, I, I fear at times that we may have domesticated uh, this parable, that maybe we have even picked up secularized or, or moralized uh, meanings of the text. And now, there, there are morals here, in the text, and there is a sense of imitation here in the parable, but this parable does not just kind of pop out of thin air as, as a teaching on its own. You know, right now that the church is in the season of Epiphany. We are in our last week of Epiphany. Lent starts next week, and Epiphany is about the light of Christ to the world. And by looking at a parable of Jesus, this morning, we are looking at a story, right? This parable as a story that puts us into the story. So what is the story we are being put into? And and to begin to explore that, let us look at the question that brings this whole conversation, this whole parable to fruition. So, so let us hear now those opening verses, verses 25 to 29. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in, your law, in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So what is the question that begins all of this? Right, we, we heard that at the, beginning, at the beginning of this reading. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or we could say it in another way. What, what must I do to save myself? That is the originating point of the parable. The, the parable Jesus gives is a, a direct working out of that original question. The parable really, I mean really, it's just a repeat, isn't it? Of the conversation that Jesus and the man are having. It's just a repeat but coming at it from a different angle. And, and, and the man, who, who is this man? Who is asking the question? was an expert in the law, we are told. Someone who very likely has Torah, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, has that memorized as well as the Psalms. You know what? They probably even almost the entire Old Testament. They probably have that thing memorized. This is someone who just breathes scripture, right? He knows it so well, which doesn't necessarily mean he understands it. But he knows this holy book through and through. Expert is a very appropriate title for this man. And, and Jesus, his reputation as a teacher, it's just growing and growing. So, so we have a coming together of, of great minds, coming together of experts. And this man asked Jesus a question, what, what must I do to inherit eternal Life. And so Jesus asks the law man about the law. How do you read the law? And the first century equivalent of a good Sunday school answer is given. Well, there is no higher thing than to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, you, you got it right. And then maybe we're like, wait a minute. We thought the man was testing Jesus. And now here Jesus is saying, no, you've passed the test. Do this and live. Well, what's going on here? But there is something here that I feel like we just breeze right by as we come to this passage. And it's, it's the severity of this command. Do, do what to live? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands here, but by this measure, could any one of us here say that they think they are in good standing to inherit eternal life? I, I can't raise my hand to that. Jesus is saying, law man, here is the law you quoted. Do it. And the lawyer, I mean, part of this just goes right over his head. He figures he's in good standing with God, that he's got that part down pat. But the neighbor, he seeks some clarity, some affirmation in that. And so the biblical scholar, the, uh, the Middle Eastern biblical scholar, Ibn al-Taib, he sees it like this, right? The lawyer is just banking on Jesus saying, in response to who is my neighbor, the lawyer is banking on Jesus saying, your relatives, your friends, you know, essentially other Jews. The, then the lawyer will answer, I have done this. And Jesus will praise him, saying, you, you have fulfilled the law. And the lawyer will just depart in praise of his good works. But instead, the lawyer gets a parable to highlight who is the neighbor. Again, what is the question that started all of this? What must I do to inherit eternal life, eternal salvation? You want praise for your good works? Do this. Law, man, here's the law you quoted. Do it. Reader seeking a moral, here is your moral. Do it. The, uh, the severity of the, this biblical quotation, the severity of this parable is that, really, I, mean, I hope we're starting to get a sense for this, is really that it is a command for an open-ended lifestyle requiring unlimited and unqualified love for God and people. Work and work schedules are no longer the priority in our lives. Family functions, sure, Write them on the calendar, but they are not set in stone. An open-ended lifestyle requiring unlimited and unqualified love for God and people. Are you sure you want to still read this parable to your children? Do you think this is a standard that we, we can live by? Well, what was the reaction of the lawyer to all this? We're not told. It just kind of ends, right? We're not told. However, in Luke 18, just further on in Luke, Jesus tells another parable that begins with someone asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Same question. And after he answers with a different parable, but after he answers that question, Luke lets us know how the people reacted. The man who asked that question in Luke 18, well, he walks away dejected. 
and the people who were around who heard Jesus' response to this, they said, who then can be saved? Right? And that, that is the silent question following this parable as well. What must I do? Here it is. Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? So now let's just rewind to that first question. What was it again? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And what Jesus did to start all of this was he chose to answer the question on the lawyer's terms, right? We're, we're starting to see that a little bit, I think. Because you, you see, in the centuries preceding Jesus, a, a rabbinic tradition had developed a way of understanding scriptures and applying them, right? Everyone, everyone loves application. And the rabbis, they were good at application, right? If it's a DIY list, that's rabbinic tradition. And and what came from that was a focus on keeping the law and walking in righteousness. Good things, right? Those are good things. But they were misconstrued and became ultimate things. And we can see that in the course of the gospel where Jesus keeps rubbing up against the Pharisees because he's really challenging them on those points. And so the lawyer, he walks, he talks, he breathes law. And then Jesus responds in kind and gives him law straight up. You want to do something to save yourself? Here you go. Jesus answered the question within the framework that it was being asked. And and at the same time, he planted a bomb in that framework to just blow it all up. Right? This parable is a Trojan horse into salvation by works. Thinking that we need to have our stuff together in order to be saved. And so what's the other way the question could have been answered? Well, it's the Old Testament way. And this is the way that we are led to see these questions as readers of the Bible, readers on, on this side of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, readers led and inspired by the Holy Spirit to see the whole Bible as God's word, God's self-revelation to us. And the Old Testament answer to the question What must I do to inherit eternal life is absolutely nothing. It is a gift of God. And that is how the New Testament continues on from the old. The the lawyer blinded by the rabbinic tradition is unaware that only, only By mercy can he live. Only by mercy can we live. Karl Barth, a biblical theologian from earlier in the previous century, comments on this parable. And he says, the lawyer, the lawyer doesn't want to live by mercy. 
He does not even know what it is, actually. He actually lives by something quite different from mercy. He lives by his own intention, his own ability to present himself as a righteous or or good man before God. Doesn't seem all that different from you or I, does it? At times. That trap we fall into to, to, to save face, to present ourselves good before God, even before one another. You see, at the heart of the gospel is the truth that, that God, he does not meet us at the top of the staircase Right? The staircase of our efforts at moral or theological, spiritual perfection. God does not even meet us halfway. Right? That's, that's the American way, the North American way. God will, meet, God will meet you halfway. No. God doesn't even meet you halfway. Like this parable, like this parable says, God meets us at the bottom right at the bottom, grabbing hold of us by the power of the Spirit amidst all our sin, all our rebellion, all our shame, our stuckness, right? And so any, any attempt, any attempt by us to, to climb to God by our works, it takes us away from where God is trying to meet us. At the foot of the cross. Only by mercy can we live. It's the cry of the church throughout the centuries. In its liturgy has always been, will always be, Lord, have mercy. Lord, exercise your mercy. Do we now see the Samaritan, and behold what he's doing. The good Samaritan, he binds up the wounds of, of the half-dead man. Right? The binding up of the wounds, that is language used of God in the Old Testament. God's action to bind up the wounds of the suffering, of the helpless. And the pouring of the oil and wine, that's temple imagery. God's presence and the sacrificial rites being enacted out in the wilderness on this desert road upon this half-dead man. This, the God-man, Jesus Christ, meeting people at the bottom of the staircase at the foot of the cross. This is what the parable is all pointing to. We, we are that half-dead person. And it is only the God-man who can give us life. Right, by the end of this parable, we even see how Jesus is making all things new and how the new creation is showing up in the life of this parable through what the Good Samaritan brings, right? Everything the robbers have done. 
becomes all undone. All that evil and chaos becomes undone, right? The robbers rob him. The Samaritan pays for him. The robbers leave him dying. Samaritan leaves him taken care of, healed. The robbers abandon him. The Samaritan puts him in charge of another, read Holy Spirit, and promises to return. Everything the robbers have done becomes undone. All the evil, malice, chaos, hurt does not have the last word. He makes all things new. In this parable, Jesus is letting us in on how he sees his ministry. He is revealing himself through the parable of the Good Samaritan. For the point of the parable is not go and do likewise, that he leaves with the lawyer. The point is that only by mercy can we live. Jesus sees his ministry, his life in this way, that he's come to bind up the wounds of the sufferers, to anoint with oil and wine a restoration of, of dignity, to pay for us freedom from our debt, to not leave us alone, and also a promise to return. For God so loved the world. This is good news, isn't it? Jesus reveals himself as the merciful one. The lawyer, the lawyer, you know, he saw God as a task master. And maybe we sometimes see God like that or in a different way. Something to do, something to live up to. Jesus is saying, you don't get it. You don't get it. I am the merciful one. Jesus says, you don't come up to me. I come down to you and then I bring you up. Who is the neighbor? The one who's had mercy. Who has neighbored the world? Jesus Christ. When we taste the goodness of God, we shall not want only by mercy do we live. And, and, and by that mercy, you know, we, we are grown in that mercy and, and we walk and act in that mercy. It forms us, right? This is the story that Jesus tells that puts all of us into the story. Into the story of what God is up to in this world and in our lives. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Only by mercy do we live. Only by and in Jesus Christ do we live. Right? The question of the lawyer transformed in the light of Jesus Christ. It is all mercy. And so let us give thanks and, and rejoice and you know, and then in that, in giving thanks and rejoicing, you know, then we can truly be a neighbor 
for our efforts will not be to save ourselves, but in response and gratitude and thankfulness to this new life we have in Christ. The heart transformation that we desire to follow our Savior, our Lord. We want to be like him, right? We want to be like our daddy. That's what goes with us in the week ahead too. It moves us from striving and the what must I do to rejoicing, thanksgiving, and and sharing in what Christ has done. Let us learn the contentment and satisfaction, the rest for our souls that we have in Jesus Christ and he has for us. May that be the confidence and humility that that guides our steps in all things that that extends and, and reflects his mercy throughout this world. Amen. Shall we pray? Oh, Jesus, we just... We just give you thanks for your mercy. Lord, that, that it is only in you, that it is only by you that we have life. We thank you that you have saved us, that you have rescued us from sin, from evil, from death. That your work of life, that your resurrection life, by the power of your Holy Spirit, is at work in all of us. Is growing us in you. Lord, we just pray that you open our eyes more and more to the gift of this life that you have given us. To ground us more and more in it and just to fill us with more and more joy, more and more hope, and more and more peace. Convict us to rest from our striving, to lay that aside, and just to meet you at the foot of the cross where you desire to meet us and heal us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.